0: Justin Peterson. And I'm Brian Lee. Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast, where we traverse the rich historical legacy of voice training from the greatest minds and teachers of the art. Each episode features
1: lively conversation, fascinating historical insights, and practical application for today's singer. Well, good afternoon, Justin. How are you doing? Well, howdy. I thought today it'd be fun to talk about uh, a subject uh, that we have labeled singing in a language you don't speak, or mm. what you would call a foreign language. Oh. Um, this is an interesting that comes up thing that comes up with people who go for voice degrees. Um, if you get a voice degree, you will be required to sing in multiple languages, and. Uh, for most Americans, that means languages you don't speak because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Europe, uh, some of these languages that are required may be spoken by a bunch of people. Like if you grow up in a place like Switzerland or the Low Countries, where they will speak French and German and uh, English. Um, so I wanted to uh, investigate this thing. I, I have sort of a crusade where I don't really like how uh, so many people... Feel the pressure to, say, make a recital program Mm -hmm. that includes like a balance of languages, Uh, meaning languages they know and languages they may not know as well. And as an adjudicator, too, I've just run into some real problems with communication Mm -hmm. when people get into their foreign languages.
0: Have you run into this kind of thing, too? I I mean, the the image that comes to my mind is being in school whether it was undergraduate or graduate school and you would see a performer deliver the first seventy five percent of their recital yep. in a foreign language. Yeah. And then get to the twenty five percent of the end when they mm-hmm. finally went into English and mm-hmm. it was like, oh, then they came to life. Yes. And then the performance was fun. And then it was like everyone yep. in the audience was enjoying it and it was like it sort of it was like everything that was came before was sort of something to be gotten through yes. which didn't have any communicative Piece of it at all, yeah. And because the singer clearly only understood a you know approximate understanding of the words, and I, it just was a real moment because I thought, why can't the whole recital be as good as the last twenty five percent of it was?
1: Right. And sometimes they would uh, attribute it to the fact that that towards the end, oftentimes the time period that the songs were written in was more modern, or it might be from genres a little closer. Uh, to musical theater or whatever, but I think the language part is a big deal. Mm. What I'd like to do right now is sort of break it down for the folks who have not been through the voice degree mill about how this works. So Mm. if you go for a voice degree at most music schools, there is a National Association of Schools of Music accredited program that they have to follow Mm. um, to to be... um, to be accredited by NASM. And what most voice minor and voice major programs require is uh, a final performance project, i.e. the recital, Mm. um, or one or more, uh, that has to have a variety of languages. And the standard languages that the students have to do are their native tongue, English, And their first foreign language they usually study in is Italian, Mm. and then they have to have German, and then usually also French. Uh, Certainly by the time they go to grad school in voice, they're expected to have sung in all of those languages. And there's been pressure in the last 20, 30 years to add some others to that, like Russian. Mm -hmm. And occasionally people will decide to add other things, uh, like Spanish and Czech, uh, so, the problem is among many problems, possibly with uh, getting a voice degree, is that you have four years uh, to learn how to sing as a new young adult with a new adult larynx, and you have to sing these difficult works in languages that you can't think in and express in freely. So, oh, man. The sort of thing I want to dig into it with you today, Justin, is about at what point in a, in learning a song or acquiring the language of a song. At what point does it become a real expression hmm. um, versus just learning the sounds? Right. Because what the other thing you'll find, I'm I'm sort of speaking to our friends who are listening who you know, may not be part of this scene. What, what a lot of the kids will do to get through, they learn a phonetic language called international phonetic alphabet. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that you can mark down the sounds of any language. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes for their German set or their French set, they will sit down with a pencil and put pronunciation marks above every single sound of the songs they're singing. Right. Um, If they don't speak those languages. And sometimes even if they do speak those languages. But um, the problem is the U.S. is a pretty monolingual country. And the most common foreign language spoken in the country is Spanish. Mm. And then our neighbors to the north have French and some of our island neighbors also. Um, But, man, this, this whole Italian and German thing... Uh, can really trip people up. Mm. So do you think, Justin, is there any justification for learning a song that's in a completely foreign language to you, like where you're not conversant in it, and learning the sounds of that language in order to sing it?
0: There's so many levels to this that I'm thinking of as you're talking about all this. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the first thing that strikes me is the fact that, and I'm going to put this not in an art song context, but in an operatic one. Uh, it is not within our, uh, you know, human memory here. I mean, it is within human memory in our own, you know, world that operas used to be sung in whatever language they were in in the country they were in. So you would have a French Aida or you would have a a German Tosca or, you know, any of those countries would do the language that the country was. So they would translate those scores. I mean, you can find a French version of Tosca, online very easily and and see the French there. So to me that speaks of a desire to make what was going on communicated to the audience in an age before translation or subtitles or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And that they didn't think anything of it. I mean, I even think there's a legend, and this probably, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, the early operas at the Metropolitan Opera would be, I think they did a Boris Godunov. I think, early on at the Met, where you had people singing in all different languages. There was, I mean... Uh, well, like more with, than one language? Yeah, like the the bass who sang it, the Polish bass that sang it, sang it in Italian, and Shalitopin sang it in Russian, yep. and the chorus sang it in Italian, and some of the other principals were singing it in German. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not very cohesive here, but, you know, that <laughs> happened. I mean, that's a real thing that happened in operatic history, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I obviously have, as a person who adores languages, and I know you do too, yes. I mean, I have such respect for the language itself. And and this is obviously a tangent we can go on, so throw, you know, we can come back to this. But the idea mm-hmm. of tone, it feels like the idea of tone has become the all-important goal of pedagogy.
1: When you say tone, do you mean an expressive tone. tone or beautiful a beautiful tone? Timbral. Beautiful tone, yeah, yeah. making as, the
0: sound exactly as if the sound is the sine qua non, and everything mm-hmm. else can go to hell, including the poet's intentions. Yeah, and that the the idea that the singer would in, intuit and express the text as language seems to be a, a, something that we get that gets lost when you're talking about this idea of oh, just singing in a foreign language. Yeah the the inadequacy of understanding what the word means and how the word is colored uh seems to be a missing element in in really producing what i think singers in a classical tradition always value which is an authentic performance yeah an authentic, i think well, communicative thing. just imagine
1: schubert like when those songs were first sung you know they were they were done you know, in parlors somewhere, mm-hmm. usually not huge concert halls, right. uh, sung by Germans for Germans or Austrians right. for Austrians, depending on where they and were. Weren't they
0: translated? I mean, like, didn't they do Schubert in French? And didn't they, you know, I'm, I'm seeming to remember that they, they had translations.
1: Oh, yeah. And eventually those things were translated because I think there. Were, this is kind of where we're going, I think, is there was sort of until, I don't know, somewhere in the mid 20th century, but there was the idea that you want most of the input that you're getting to be in your language. So right. so like if uh if an american company was putting on magic flute uh they used to always do it in english. Mm-hmm. And um that one in particular has a lot of speaking in it so it becomes even, you know, more important. Um I've also heard of hybrid versions of that where they'll they'll do the spoken lines in english and the arias and ensemble numbers in German. But um, the thing is, you know, when you think about where the music that we sing in our voice degrees comes from, it came from environments that were pretty much uh, the German composers mm-hmm. were writing for German audiences. And right. those German composers set very few songs in other languages than their own language. Right. Schubert set very little French, very little I don't know if he said any English. I know Beethoven actually said a tiny bit of English, Hmm. but very little um, because what they knew uh, and how they were going to marry the text with the music, you know, had to be what they were intimately familiar with. And you have to be able to think in the language to really make that happen. What I've had happen when I have young singers who are singing for auditions especially where there's a language requirement and they don't know the language in an attempt to try to get some authenticity. I try, I try to at least have them learn every word in the song. Like what Mm -hmm. does each word mean? And then what does each sentence mean? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, word order is different, et cetera. Um, But, you know, just so, so when I send kids off to music school and they have to do, um, especially a German, because most of them don't know anything about German when they're right. eighteen years old. Um, I always pick the shortest texts I can find. Yes. So I I will do like the uh, Schumann "Du bist wie eine Blume" mm, because mm. it's a four line song, four or eight. I think it's yeah. eight, uh, eight very short lines, four four couplets, and um, you know I I make it as small a task as possible because I feel it just is so phony that we're singing in all these foreign languages yeah. without really speaking them and so then I tell them when you go to school you need to pick one of these foreign languages and actually take courses in that language yes so you know how learn to like. the language yeah right?
0: don't 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 uh, yeah. I, oh boy, you're opening up cans of worms in my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I <laughs> because imagine. I just think about you know the you know especially then what happens is that we begin a policing of pronunciation, which oh, happens yes. a lot. Yes. Right. Like you didn't say that word correctly. Meanwhile, cut to Renata Tobaldi or you know Renata Scotto who couldn't agree on open or closed e vowels or o vowels. That's and right. It's like, you oh, know, yeah. even the people who speak the language don't agree on those rules. So. Um. It's, well,
1: here's the thing no. about the pronunciation. I would much rather hear someone sing with a bit of an accent, but know what they're singing, right? Rather than perfect pronunciation. That's blah, right? So, right. like for here, like for an example of singing in English, like um, when uh, Carreras did that West Side Story. Oh, album. right. It was kind of hilarious to have a Tony with a Spanish mm. accent, right? However. He does speak English, and the songs that he sang were lovely and soulful, and he knew what he was singing about, Mm -hmm, even though they were tinged with an accent. But um, you know, when we when we do our IPA transcriptions of a song, and you know, we follow all the rules, and we decide, okay, we're going to do you know pre eighteen seventy French with flipped Rs and uh you know sounding the mute ease properly and blah 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 blah, blah. and yeah. <laughs> but then the person has no idea what the hell they're singing i mean right. you can never get the uh flow of a phrase across right. without understanding what you're singing
0: no and then the other question which we have not talked about which is obviously part of this is that like tangos two people are needed right who what is the audience getting
1: yeah, exactly. You exactly. know, what
0: is the audience getting? Are they Do they understand it? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing that I think that what...
1: Oh, so yeah. You have this absurdity of the student singing, making sounds they don't understand, the audience holding pieces of paper that translate right. the alleged sounds back to their own language. Right. And so then you have all this... The, the, the student is separated from meaning by not right. knowing what they're singing about. Right. And then the audience is separated from meaning because they're getting it from someone who's phony. Right. Plus, they're reading a paper while they're listening to music. I mean, right, right. It, it's kind of
0: an absurd situation. Well, and it, it is it is turning singing into a tonal activity and not a vocal activity. Yeah. It is not verbal anymore. It's lost It's, verb, it's lost its communicative power. Because, uh, as my buddy Edward Foreman <laughs> likes to say, if you're going to take the words out, well, then why not just have a clarinet? Because at least a clarinet will be in tune. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I no mean, argument. Because if
0: there's no words, I, I don't, I don't understand what we're doing. I don't understand yeah. what that's about. I think that's, I mean, I, keep, I keep coming back to the idea of the musica reservata of the Renaissance, which really predicated itself on how the text was colored. And how the words mm-hmm. were painted,, mm-hmm. and that was the high value of that Renaissance school, yeah, that's what they wanted to do aesthetically was to tinge the word with music, yeah um and i and I feel like when people sit in a room and listen to sounds go by, which they do not speak or understand, sung mm-hmm. by an artist that does not speak or understand those sounds, I just wonder what kind of what are we doing? What is this practice? yeah, what's happening here, yeah. Um, what's being communicated? That's the question. What is ultimately being communicated in that moment? Right. What are we trying to communicate? And oftentimes it just comes down to the music itself. And the poet can go, you know, Heine can just go jump in a r- lake or Goethe right. can just jump in a yeah. lake. Yeah, yeah. Screw those guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're contrib- uh, Forget them. <laughs> you know. I think this is the whole idea of what the 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 opera Capriccio is based on, isn't it not? It's by Strauss's opera where they sort of have this dialogue about, you know, what's more important, the words, the music.
1: Yeah, I don't know that opera. So I uh, also tell I people I feel like
0: there's two schools of this. Like, you know, there's the tone based school of singing and then there's the verbal based. based. And I think, obviously this is a very generic idea, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I think of like Joan Sutherland as a very tonally based singer. Sure. Right? Someone yeah. who was just very much based on tone. Um everything sounded tonally beautiful, but mm-hmm. uh, verbally um, anemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. There was yeah. very little fire or tonal coloration in that sound. Now, does that yeah. take away from the fact that she had a stunning technique of coloratura ability and a beautiful? No, it doesn't at all. Right. But we have to look at it and say that's a different set of values. Yeah. That's a different set of artistic values there. Yeah. And then you get an artist like, uh, you know, her, her antithesis, which was Maria Callas, who did not have what we might think of as a generically accepted beautiful tone although right. there were moments where it yeah. was quite lovely I mean there's mm-hmm. you know that's not to take away from the, the totality of her, her ability but Maria Callas was definitely driven by the word oh yeah and the expression of the word and those are two 20th century artists that sort of demonstrate those, those parallels of tonally based singing and verbal now I think if you go too far in either direction as in all things in life you get stuck sure you know you need to have a, a mix of both but, like you said, I, I, I don't think we're also the only people who have sort of said, mm, is it really necessary? I mean, can we? I mean, I, I come from a tradition where, as a young undergraduate, I was with uh, um, Robert Larson at the Des Moines Metro Opera. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Robert did all of the operas in English. Every yeah. one. Yeah. Every one. It did not matter what opera it was, because he was in Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah. And he knew that if you're going to have an American opera company in Des Moines, Iowa, you've got to have intelligibility of words so that that an audience can sit and enjoy the opera. And so for me as a young singer to learn that, I mean, my artistic development was predicated upon communication yeah, of words because it was in my language. And I just, I think that there's, there's levels of this. I think sometimes audiences feel, um, what, uh, a sense of, What's the word I'm looking for? They, maybe they feel a sense of, of oh we're being artistic, right? Oh we're, we're yeah. going to art. We don't understand what's going on, but we love going to the opera.
1: Oh, I've heard that comment you know? a lot in recitals too. About, well I don't I don't understand didn't understand the language at all. But what a beautiful voice. Right. Um, and uh, it's it's so funny that with young people in classical voice degrees, mm. uh, we'll say we don't want to. Uh, emphasize opera too soon and that mm. songs mm. are a good training ground. Mm. And I would totally agree with that. But when you take a song, uh, one of the great things about songs is you can put them in whatever key is ideal for you. Mm-hmm. So it's comfortable. Uh, usually songs don't have quite as much uh, very, very high singing as opera does. Mm. Uh, So there's all these opportunities there for the words to be very legible and and for the text to be and and plus most song repertoire is based on uh, very beautiful poetry, sometimes taken straight out of the original in the original form, as opposed to an opera libretto Mm. or, you know, how arias will be uh, usually not literal poems. They are usually the, the text is usually sort of massaged and designed uh, for the musical moments that are going to be created. Whereas songs are usually uh, inspired, they inspire the composers to set poems. And mm-hmm. so the poem is the basis. And I just find it so interesting when someone does know what they're singing. Um, the uh, One other little tangent related to what you said about um, Dr. Larson and it was doctor, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and the the you know making it in the language of the people. When you look at the performers, okay, uh, Renata Scotto was not known for her German heroines, right? You know, Pavarotti sang in Italian uh, for his professional gigs, ninety nine percent. Oh yeah, oh, he did yeah. a tiny bit of French. His his English was kind of funny. Right, uh, it was a little odd. Uh, But, you know, they knew what they were good at. And and in the past, people did not sing equally in four or five different languages like we require these poor voice majors to do. Yes, yes. And if if they aren't doing it at the top of their career with their technique together and and all that experience, why should we expect a 20-year-old to? Right. You know?
0: Um, So it makes me a little sad. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well don't be slain I, I think that you know one of the things that many um, you know Edward Foreman is someone I look to in this regard as well who talks mm-hmm. a lot about these English translations and he he really does feel that you know making good translations of arias and operas is, is a worthy idea you know making a good translation for the for people to understand mm-hmm. and and maybe the pendulum will swing at some point to good translations and maybe it'll be chic to sing in your native tongue i know that a lot of russian operas get sung in english mm-hmm. right for yep. the sake of understanding yeah um and i think yeah i think it would it would be an interest i mean this is the thing we talk about with opera it's like why don't people connect to it why don't people connect to it language yeah language my grandmother 90 you know 80 years old she's like well you don't i don't understand anything you say and i'm just like well that that's not good yeah Right? I mean, people need to understand, and it's at my grandma's job to learn, you know, French, Italian, Spanish, you know, I mean, if she wants to, but right. it, it's my job as the artist to communicate, you know. Um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting conundrum. I like Mozart operas in English. I like Cozy Fantute in, in English, if it's a good translation.
1: I don't think I've ever heard it in English. I've it's heard wonderful. individual moments, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. scenes, and, and arias, but it would be interesting to sit through. I would love to to listen to a Mozart aria in English in a fairly small house mm. with a twenty piece orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, you know where where the words have a really strong chance of being yes. understood. That would be can great. I, can, I t- <laughs>
0: can I tell you though who has taken up the mantle of this who? English thing, Broadway composers? Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I think where where we could get new works in English. The the musical theater composers of today have taken that mantle on their own mm-hmm. and said we're we'll we'll do that. So you get Jason Robert Brown, you get you know modern composers of musical theater, uh, Scott Allen. I mean, there's many 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 composers in this Matthew Lee Robinson, mm-hmm. who are in this space writing really great music in English for yeah. people who sing in English. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, classical trained singers who cannot shift style don't find that a very congenial or welcoming atmosphere. Yes. Right, because right. they sort of have to change the timbral and registrational usage of their instruments. Right. Um for those, so that's too for bad. For
1: those genres. Well, what, one thing that popped up in my head as you were saying that is a very successful uh, young company here that's not so young anymore but called Urban Arias mm. uh, in Washington, D.C. They do mostly premieres. So they're constantly commissioning their short one act operas and they 're all in english oh nice and so you're getting uh, new stuff written with classical voices in mind that is in English and it's small scale mm. and the audience eats it up it's really wonderful uh i I so strongly support what they're doing and um and it's hit and miss you know all new work I mean some of them are terrific, and some you know probably won't stand the test of time. Right. But um, it's really exciting. It's exciting. You feel like you're, you like when you hear a new chamber opera mm-hmm. done in your language. You can imagine what it would have been like to sit in yes. Franz Schubert's drawing yes. room yes. and hear his songs for the first time. Exactly.
0: Or to hear uh, a Metastasio a libretto, and you're like, oh, I can understand. You know, there's yeah. No, there's no gap. Yeah. I think the word that comes to mind Brian is immediacy uh-huh yeah it's immediate the communication yeah. is immediate there's no there's no literal interpretation there's no interpretation necessary yeah it's it's right there it's just instant you get it yeah and i find that people who like to listen to singers of all stripes like to understand what's being said
1: you know i think urban areas. is what, what, like i think about that and i think about then the experience of going to santa fe or the met uh, our whole lives were glued to screens. Mm. You know, we, computer screens, phone screens, phones, phones, phones. And if you can go to the opera and not have to look at another damn screen right. and process through the screen. Right. Uh, so what you said before about more, more English translations coming back in, I could right. see that as a reason because people could have uh, a performance experience that gets them totally off of the electronic environment and yeah. screens, you yeah. know. I, I mean, and people in all genres. I mean, live music is not dead. Uh, people, not at all. I are, mean, uh, love yeah. their live music.
0: I, I also think it's a difference between. There is a difference between going to a symphony and going to an opera. I, I'm sorry, you know, a person can close their eyes in the symphony and have an internal experience. Yes. Right. I don't think opera was intended to be that. No. I don't think opera was intended to be done with your eyes down. Or your eyes closed, right? Right. It was intended to, for the audience to engage with what was happening at the drama on the stage, just yeah. like it is in Broadway, just yeah. like it is in any other theatrical genre of music yes. uh, of performance. So, uh, I, you know, if the audience is checked out, they're they're checked out. They're not yeah. there. Yeah. You know, and then they're just there for art's sake. And what is that? You know. Yeah. Um, where is the communication? Where is the communication? I really do. I re- you know. And it's not out of the realm of historical precedence that that we no. do operas in a in a particular language. That's not like oh we're just making this up. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, the, the uh, and one of the definitions you hear of opera is that it's all or the vast majority of it is sung. Uh, people still have the patience for that because you have shows like Les Mis. Mm-hmm. That's that's ninety nine percent sung. There's Mm -hmm. almost no spoken moments. Uh, The last five years, uh, there's a lot of shows that are almost all singing, just more so the magic flute. Right. By far. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, and let's not forget there was a time in American history when operas were done in English on Broadway. Yeah. You know, uh, Blitstein's Regina, uh, John Carlo Minotti's The Consul. Kurt Weill. Yes, exactly. All of those things were done on Broadway. So... What I, I guess I wish for is just the, the great American opera composer to come back. <laughs> yeah. You know, bring back great American opera composition. I mean, we need a Leonard Bernstein. We need a a, a Blitzstein. We need a Giancarlo Minotti who writes congenially for the voice in, in our own language. Yeah. Um, that's been hard to do, I yeah. think. Yeah. That's been very hard to do. I, I think, think also, too, because people don't want to sit and listen. I mean, I'm sorry to be like such a curmudgeon here. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of people, of, of the general ilk of the uh, opera goer or theater goer, they want to at least have an experience of beauty once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, when people write these vocal lines that are not very congenial to the voice, you you know, for the sake of, a, again, big letters, A-R-T, art, mm-hmm. um, the audience is sort of left holding the bag and saying, well, okay, that was great, but you know there's a reason Puccini still lives right there's a reason that people will always ache for melody in any form and mm-hmm. I don't think that's just classical I think that's anything Broadway well, sure. anything it, people str- human the human ear wants t- to hear melody sure at the end of the day yep I, I do the average human ear right The un, let's say the uneducated ear that yeah. hasn't been deconstructed by post uh, modern musical structures right <laughs> um, deconstruction of music yeah um, yeah, I, and also to like this idea of tone, you know, I was saying earlier, one person's idea of beautiful tone is another person's mush. Yeah. Right? It's so subjective. Right. Um, you know, if, and if I have the teacher and I have the tonal ideal, right, I'm going to teach everybody to do that tonal ideal. Well, I didn't teach them anything but to imitate. Yeah. And that's that's just a, you know, imitative capacity uh, and uh, of slyness on my part
1: and i would say that's another really strong argument for really knowing the text and communicating the text because you can be hearing a voice that is not necessarily beautiful mm-hmm. but that is really saying something that's propelling you to a dramatic place mm-hmm. by what what they're saying what they're expressing right. um as opposed to you know the gift wrap it comes in right
0: it doesn't as an audience again it doesn't keep us at arm's length it, it puts us in the moment with the singer, yeah. with them, listening to them. This is I, one of the reasons why I think I liked, in my school days, I liked recitals more than opera because of the words. And I think maybe it's because it was tied to the fact that I grew up singing in church, in English, right? Where you're standing there singing to a congregation. So there is the immediacy of the song, that you're telling the story. You're telling them something that they can immediately understand. And it seems, though, that in, in the foreign language world, it's like it stands in the way and... Uh, you know, we we sort of feel in, 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 in an educated audience. We feel kind of like, oh, you know, it's it's a very at it's a very atavistic level. You know, the communication when there's no words, it's yeah, sort of very primitive, um, and we we also lose our ability to really exp- feel something for the work because we don't know what they're saying.
1: Yeah, um, there there have been a couple notable exceptions. There have been a couple big scale operas that have you know. I think do grab people in, in English. Um, I'm thinking of uh Dead Man Walking. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: That certainly has been quite successful. Yep. And it's it's quite a, an amazing thing to uh see done well. Another one, uh William Bolcom's uh, a view from the bridge mm-hmm. was another one that um I mean it's not uh maybe not a work for the ages. That's not for me to decide, but mm-hmm. but it was certainly Something I could engage with pretty directly and and didn't have to read the teleprompter yeah and um and and it was an American story about uh american people um uh, so there's that too the, the-
0: I also think when you don't <laughs> to kind of come back to an earlier conversation, when you don't know what you're saying, it also leads to really bad acting. yeah right right right. i mean oh my and people start to well dr larson used to call it mickey mousing when people would just sort of indicate everything that they were talking about like if they talked about the sky or the flowers or the trees or whatever you know everything was pointed at or looked at or (laughs) yeah so it leads to this again because they don't know what they're saying or singing about so the gestures become very um false right The physical gestures become very stunted and it's robotic um yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And they I, often
0: argue. They often argue, like the purists. Let's let's talk about the the white hair, the long haired purists. Uh, you know, they'll always say, "Well, the, the vowel that is being sung is integral to the authentic sound of the opera." You know, whether that's the song or the aria, or whatever. And it doesn't seem logical to me to preserve sound at the expense of sense.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, I will. I will definitely, uh, uh, you know, admit that translating. A song or aria uh, affects it musically somewhat, mm-hmm. but I think that the the words, if the words are set reasonably well, I think that's for me much more important that the words are understood. Yes, uh, than that there's a perfect arch phrase going from most closed to most open vowel right. in a you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yes, there's there there are some compromises with that if the original composition was exquisitely bonded text to music. Yeah. Now, what you find, that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, there were times, even in, in say, Schubert songs, where uh, Schubert had a really strong musical idea or motive that was uh, not necessarily the most fun, ideal thing to sing, uh, you know, th- how the phrase uh, worked with the vowel, especially mm-hmm. in some of the uh, strophic songs, of which there are many, um, some verses work better than others because the vowels are more comfortable for the way the phrase goes, mm-hmm. but, um, that has its own kind of charm too, though. Yes. Having, having to sing a closed vowel at the highest part of a phrase can't, can't, is an excel itself will, uh, show a new view onto that word and that phrase. If the person knows what they're trying to say.
0: Right, right, yeah. I think that it, um, it creates a really engaging experience. I would say even children can enjoy the opera when they can understand the words. Yeah, like a lot of these outreach programs will go. Here's what's baffling to me: a lot of the opera outreach programs in the country will go off and you know do Seymour Barab's Little Red Riding Hood or you know any of these little operas, Mm -hmm. almost always in English, of course. Yeah. You know, because if you're trying to get kids to the opera, which we would love to do, I mean, hey, kids should go to the theater, the opera, the musical, whatever. Um, They should understand the words. And so kids can connect with it and go, hey, this opera thing is kind of cool. Yeah. They don't feel held out again as a, at a distance from it. And the other thing that we haven't talked about, which is so important, which is not talked about, is the fact that languages carry with them the burden of stylistic colorization.
1: Mm, say more. Like, what's, what have you got well, in mind? I mean, with
0: that? It, I, I think, it, for example, if you go back and you listen to the, f- for example, French language, every, mm-hmm. we know, anybody who's ever studied l- dialects or, or accents for the stage mm-hmm. knows that when you learn an accent, a foreign accent, one of the elements you need to learn is the intonation of yes. that language. Yep. How they intone. Um, well, French has an intonation, German has one, and so does Italian. They're not the same. Right. And they do color themselves differently. And if you're not aware of those subtle coloris- colorizations of the sound, of the language, you miss it entirely. Because it does affect how the music is done, right? It does affect the the the, the, the melody. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some really fabulous recordings of the early 20th century of French singers singing French opera. And you cannot get more French than those recordings. I mean, everything that has ever come after it has been a gross... Um, approximation of what those early <laughs> cuz even the instrumentalists the oboists and the clarinetists phrase in a way that's very french. Yeah. I mean it's just informed by that style. Yeah. And I do believe that language carries with it a a specific type of style that you cannot sing it, the thing that makes horrible translations is when you try to do the style incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> right? The, the lyric of the, of, the, of the word, in other words, if you sing, let's say, Schubert in English, English should be the way to make the style of the sound, not the German. In other words, you have to sort of wipe the German out of your brain. And do the English and do the style of the English. Yes, it's not. It's not the the, the for example, or Schubert leader in French. It's not terrifying because the translation. It's terrifying because the style of the singing that's being done, and it's generally not in, in, in endemic of French style, which mm-hmm. it sh- is what it should be. I mean, French has a sound. Yeah, it literally has a sound. Yeah, and if you were listening to people talk you often can tell what language they're speaking not by the words, but by the tonal texture of what they're saying and the coloration well, of what they're saying.
1: That's how we recognize people's spoken accents. Exactly. I mean, we can hear five people, you know, speaking uh, an English sentence and mm-hmm. we could usually tell Russian from Spanish, from yes. French, Yes, you know, uh, yeah.
0: Maria Callas in 1971 in her Juilliard classes did the, um, uh, I think it's the letter scene from Verter. Um, I think it's the letter uh, air de lettre, I think. Okay. And the soprano or, or mezzo soprano who was singing the aria was, was phrasing it in a way that was very Italian it was sort of very accented and very, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And Callas and kept trying to admonish her on how to sing in the French style. And mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting little, you know, piece of what we're talking about, which is that, you know, yeah. the, the French phrases pass through very differently than an Italian phrase does. Mm-hmm. The phrasing of Italian is not the same phrasing of French or yeah. nor of German. Yeah. And if you don't know the language enough, well enough to master it, you won't understand how to phrase the music. So, it's not just the intelligibility of the word, it's also the fact that when you do these, you know, sound-based things, you miss the coloris- colorization of the of the word. And yeah. then you lose the music. It's sort of a mixed objective, as uh, Peter T. Harrison likes to talk about, right?
1: Well, that's, yes. When you transcribe a song into uh, international phonetic alphabet symbols, you know, the the naive student thinks, okay, I've got the sounds of it down. Now I'm pronouncing right. it correctly. But, Correct. But th- that does not include the intonation aspect.
0: At all. At all. At all. Yeah. At all. I mean, the composer knew those things. Mm-hmm. And new intonation. I mean, it's one of the reasons why French music sung is very different than Italian music yeah. sung. It's very different. The French people, in general, in an artistic sense, place a high value on the words. And they don't write musical phrases that tend to distort the vowels. Yeah. Whereas the Italians do. Mm-hmm. because the Italians will do much more rangy things and they'll set things in a very different way because they only have five vowels.
1: I was going to say that. Cause there's yeah. a lot of leeway within each vowel and, and you still have some intelligibility with, with the five basic vowels. Yes. yeah. But
0: the French people have always put very high prioritization on the words. It's one of the reasons why French opera had a terrible time starting. They really couldn't figure out how to do it mm-hmm. because of the language. Yeah. How are we going to do in French what the Italians are doing? And that's why they needed people like Lully and Gluck and all of these people to, that really figured out how to sort of get meter going and, and yeah. you know, all of that to get the the phrases set to the right length so they could set them to music. Mm-hmm. But yeah, French opera didn't just like, you know, begin. It had lots of struggles. Um, and German opera obviously came out of a lot of those folk traditions, mm-hmm. which were very much of the people. Yes. Um, you know, look at like Weber and all those sort of folk-driven melodic operas of German of the Germans. Yeah, German, uh, even, even Beethoven. And... Even Beethoven's opera Fidelio has a very folksy quality to it. Yeah, it's very much of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Ger- German is an interesting language in terms of compared to uh, both English and the Romance languages. The, the word order
0: mm-hmm. is
1: quite different. And a lot of German sentences in general, spoken sentences have the verbs at the end yeah and and so you have uh in German a sense of lead up lead up, lead up, lead up bang right and um now, a lot of the poetry does not do that, a lot of the poetry varies and gets away from that somewhat, but there there's there's no escaping that to to have the same uh sense of a sentence in German, and then translate it to Italian, mm. you're you're not going to have the um, spoken emphases in yes. the same place. Actually, the whole idea of emphasis, when you were talking about French, I mean, I think what a lot of us English speakers would say is that French seems so much smoother.
0: Mm. Um, mm-hmm. One
1: thing French and Spanish have in common, they don't have tons in common, singing-wise, but one thing they have in common is there's less difference between accented and unaccented syllables mm-hmm. you know it's not da, da 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 right you know it's more like da 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 it's mm-hmm. it, it it's uh um so so you'll see spanish song settings uh classical and popular where the stress of the words is not on strong beats sometimes and mm-hmm. it doesn't bother anybody as long usually as long as the the high part of the phrase is on a strong syllable of a word, but yeah. leading up to it, you may have pickup notes that are quite strange <laughs> in terms of emphasis. If you pronounce it like an American, where where you know we we hit the strong syllables with a vowel, and the rest is schwa schwa schwa, schwa you know.
0: Right, right.
1: So it that that different sense of the flow of the language. I think about that with French. I don't speak French, mm. and um, but when I hear it, and when I see it, and when I've been coached on it. Mm um the uh the, the sort of uh smoothness of it I always yes. think of it as sort of smooth it's very smooth and it's very smooth the yes. very high pattern of what they call open syllables you know it's yeah. uh uh syllables tend to end with a vowel a great yeah. deal of the time
0: The rhythm is very 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 subtle of French yeah in, you know and and oftentimes in French you are listening i always I always tell this joke when I was tested in French in college there for example there's let's i'll give a sentence as one example the bird flies the birds fly, okay those are the two sentences mm-hmm. right so in the singular sense, l'oiseau s'envole, okay that's the bird flies l'oiseau s'envole the bird flies in plural les oiseaux s'envole, so what you're listening for just like les, first of all. Then you're mm-hmm. listening for oiseaux sans,
1: oiseaux Oh, the, yeah, the silent letters that become non-silent as, right. is what I say it's hard. in
0: my head. Because <laughs> really the only clincher is l'oiseau sans vol, l'oiseau sans vol, and les oiseaux sans vol. So really the, the differentiator is at the beginning of the sentence. Actually, yeah, in that
1: case, right. Yeah, yeah. Les oiseaux mm-hmm, sans Because mm-hmm.
0: they're both oiseaux sans vol, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, it's very smooth, but you, the differentiators are very subtle Yeah. in the, in the text. This is why one of the reasons people hate French so much is like, you know, the word beau, B-E-A-U-X, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Right. Where it could just be B-O, right? right? The French have all of the, those are vestigial from, you know, old French, obviously. Yeah. But, um, it's not a phonetic language like Italian is, or even yeah. Russian, which is very phonetic. Um, so it trips up a lot of singers. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it, again, you have to know that. Yeah, you have to know those. Those. That's why I think Adam's book, Adam's, uh, I'm so blanking on his name, but an author named Adam's who did that French uh, or the language pronunciation books, very good stuff. Okay. Also, Sherry Montgomery's books for translation are very good too for learning language. She's done a really, yeoman's work on that stuff. It's really great. Sherry Montgomery. Um, great texts. I've used them before in teaching at uh, New England Conservatory when I was there. Really good stuff. But, uh, Immediacy seems to be the thing yeah. for me. I think yeah. immediacy is the is the hallmark. I always like it when teachers make students sing in their original language. Anyway, in other words, can you come up with a singing translation of this song and sing it?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a terrific uh, exercise.
0: You know, translate it exercise. and making an, it make it make you know do it yourself mm-hmm. as a as a singer. Make an English translation that's rather poetic mm-hmm. of this text. If you can, you know, find the meter and and you'll you'll see. Then in that way, how you sort of have to co-create with the composer, mm-hmm. and realize you have to make something uh, on your own and co-create with them.
1: That's wonderful. That's Intelligent, great idea. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you learn about vowels. You're like, ooh, that vowel isn't really congenial, <laughs> right? Yep. That vowel in that particular pl- place in my voice doesn't feel so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll you'll see what composers who are good obviously do with the text setting is figuring out good settings of vowels
1: yeah and you can so, certainly take that exercise uh, from the other direction and sort of analyze what composers have done and uh, yes uh, some of the good musical theater composers yes uh, too you'll you'll see kind of the songs that are impressive and rangy mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. lot of times are set in a really smart and friendly way yes and that's a fantastic thing. Fantastic I mean, my takeaway is see.
0: that a classical singer singing should be just as engaging as a Broadway singer, mm-hmm. just as connected to the text and the words and what's being sung as a yeah. Broadway singer. It's just I, a different style of music.
1: Well, one elephant in the room, uh, yeah. I will say, is if it's large operatic forces... <laughs> You know, so if it's a the symphonic orchestra kind of accompaniment, say right. say like you have uh, in Puccini and Wagner, um, it is harder to understand the words with all that going on. All that noise, <laughs> <laughs> all that brass. Yeah, but 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 you know, in the song repertoire and in the more lightly scored operas, both before and after, I mean, um, you know, it. Uh, it, it, to to ignore the words to the extent they get ignored, I right. mean, is, right. It, right. I, I just think a crime. <laughs> oh, I think so too.
0: I agree. I mean, I agree. To, I mean, you're, you're, with, you're with friends here. I mean, yeah. 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 We have, you know, we cannot, it's the whole idea of, of, of word versus tone. Yeah. And I'm in the word camp, and I think I'll always be in the word camp, just that's who I am. I want the words. And I don't mean distorted. But I mean, intelligible, communicative. Yeah. And that's one of the things we talked about when we did that Walter Foster book. We talked about how he uses English words to express something emotionally. Yes. So that can be a great entree into using language. If you're going to have to use it, find words in the language that you're going to work in that you can use and communicate with. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say categorically that for every student... Singing in a language they don't know is always a disaster. But no. with, with that little project within the world of the song, if you're yeah. not going to learn how to speak German, you need to how, learn how to speak everything that's in that song.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And th- this is where I think, uh, this, you know, a lot of there's a lot of cases of learning text where they talk about reciting the text, you know, and, and being able to speak it first. I, I think it's essential in a foreign language sometimes less so in your own language. I mean, if you're learning, I find when students are learning say a Broadway song in their own language in English uh, that uh, sometimes I like to teach it as a whole. You Mm -hmm. know, like like we do do a chunk doing the music with the words right away um, if it's not too tricky. Mm -hmm. But man, when it isn't your language, I think you have to be able to speak it and have it in such a way that it's easily intelligible by someone for whom that is a native language. Right. That doesn't mean accent free necessarily, Mm -hmm. but it means that you are making sense speaking it. And if you get to that point, you're going to have a better, a better, give a better experience. Mm
0: -hmm. It's more authentic
1: of performing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also think that every singer should spend time listening even if they don't contextually understand the words being said, they need to listen to people in the target language talk. That's a good idea. Yeah. You know, yep. even it's if important. they don't hear the words, maybe they have a you know 30% comprehension or something. Mm-hmm. They need to hear it a lot mm-hmm. because they will pick it up subtly, you know, in terms of that's how children learn. <laughs> They'll pick it up subtly over time in terms of cadence, right. in terms of intonation, in terms of how people talk how people go about pronouncing whether good or bad, and also listening to good examples. I mean, just like we talk about listening to good singers. There are some fantastic um, French speakers that I love to listen to speak French because their French is so good when they talk, like in interviews or things like that. Yeah, Listen to good good uh, pronunciation of good target language speakers Mm -hmm. as models. Yeah, uh, for your because that's you know whoever whoever those people are, they'll be good models for your singing. Yeah, to hear good models of, of spoken French, Italian, Spanish, Russian. That's actual from the cows, you know, utter right. You're yep. not going to be getting you're getting it right from the the cow. <laughs> uh, and there's where
1: where where in the modern world we have a big advantage because yes. you can go to YouTube mm-hmm. and you can hear any language you want as Absolutely. it's actually spoken and. Uh, you know people might argue well you 're listening to you know modern Parisian French as opposed to blah 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 are you listening mm-hmm. but still there there's an and even awful so lot to be you gained.
0: can look for nineteen fifty interview france yes, and you 'll hear people talking in the nineteen fifties in France, yep you know yep um that 's it very useful so,
1: yeah. great well i I think uh lest we uh
0: we're at our welcome
1: we're out our our linguistic welcome uh we can close on that today but right. it's been fun talking about this with you it's uh, yeah. very near and dear and something all of us who teach quote classical unquote classical mm-hmm. uh have to deal with
0: and at the end of the day classical music should still communicate yep just like it all the rest communicate exactly yeah exactly
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay, fabulous well,
1: thanks you're welcome Thanks for joining us
0: today on The Voice Culture Podcast. For more information, connect with us on our website, thevoiceculture.com.